The fact that this is Matthew's gospel should give you a clue as to the content of the gospel. Matthew's the great Jewish writer about the Jewish expectancy of Jesus Christ. And that's why it's one of the rare times that there's a reference to Jesus as the Messiah himself, the Messiah. So where are we? What's the context of this gospel? Well, Jesus is left the Sea of Galilee where he's just called his 12 disciples. So it's an emotive time for Jesus Christ. He's been selective. He's looked around the Sea of Galilee. He's looked around the small towns in the Decapolis. And he's gone for people who he thinks will support him and be key to his mission. He hasn't gone for yes men. He's gone for men who are independent, who are respected amongst their own communities, and who he can see are possible channels of God's grace. That's what he looked for. And he's called those 12 disciples. He's made a choice. Like all of us in partners, in work, we make a choice based upon the integrity we think we've got and our understanding of the people that we're selecting. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it fails. Sometimes it fails and gets better. Well, Jesus, we know, was in for a roller coaster with these disciples, which always encourages me, and I hope it encourages you. What a rum lot the disciples really were when it came down to it. And yet, they attempted to stick with him. So here we are, Sea of Galilee, and Jesus has called 12 disciples. At the same time, the great prophetic Jew, the unique person who links the Old Testament and the New Testament, called an intertestamental prophet, John the Baptizer, has been put in prison. That disastrous despot, Herod, didn't like the criticism he had of his wife and himself. So he shuts him up. He's an insurrectionist. Get rid of him. He's critical of the regime. He lives in the wilderness. He's odd. He dresses in a strange fashion. This is the man who really frightened King Herod before Jesus. So he's locked up in prison. And if you ever get an opportunity to see that fantastic opera about John the Baptist, that fanta who, who wrote the opera? Strauss. You have to turn to the choir for the information. Strauss, if you ever get a chance to see that opera, not only is it true to the biblical interpretation, but the music captures exactly what was happening to Herod, to John the Baptist, and offstage to prophecy around. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it, what music can do sometimes to help us understand the depths of human emotion. So here we've got John the Baptist in prison, and his followers have left him to see who this man Jesus Christ is. But with Jesus, nothing is private. Nothing is private. Everything gets reported in some way. 
and Jesus knows it. So as he passes by on his business around the Sea of Galilee and back to Nazareth, John's disciples ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Are you, are you the promised one? Are you the anointed Messiah? Look, we are trying to follow this bloke, John the Baptist. He leads us at Merry Dance down by the Dead Sea. Now you've appeared. Who are you? Are you the one who is to come? Jesus replies to John's disciples, go back and report to John what you hear and see. I'm not telling you what's going on. You say what's happening. And then he reminds them that the blind, the lame, those with skin diseases, the deaf, the dead are changed beyond recognition. Judge for yourselves, he says. You judge and then go back and say what you think has happened. And blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me, encouraging them. And as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus begins to speak to the crowd surrounding him because he's trapped. He's got the disciples of John, he's got those who are against him, he's got those who are for him, and a crowd has gathered, as it always will, with Jesus Christ. And he confronts those who follow him and those standing by with a fantastic set of words. What did you go out to see? And then he asks the questions. What kind of a prophet do you think this is? Somebody dressed up to impress? Somebody who sits in the best seats? Somebody who toes the line? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. And what a wonderful indictment, isn't it, of good old Herod, the psychophant. In king's palaces you'll find people like that, he says. This isn't John. John wears another kind of cloak, a cloak of humility. He spends time with water and with people. And what did you go out to see? What did you think a prophet looked like? And of course, without knowing it, Jesus is describing himself as well as John. And then he uses those wonderful prophetic words of the prophet Malachi from the third chapter and the first verse. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And of course, it's personal for Jesus because he's related to John the Baptist. So it's a member of his family. And of course he's going to say, this bloke is doing really well, listen to him. He's in prison, his life is being challenged as a result of witnessing to God, witnessing to God. And then he says, I tell you, no greater prophet has been born. That challenges the Jews, that challenges the Jews because they know one crucial thing about prophecy and they've lived with it and it's been their downfall. A prophet as he utters his prophecy brings about the change. That's what they know. Elijah, Elisha, cities have fallen when these prophets spoke the truth about God. So they're petrified Jesus has got them exactly where he wants them. He's got those who love John, those who hate him, those who love John, those who hate John. And he's saying to them, think of the signs that you see and interpret them for yourself.
So we've got witnessing to God and the expectation of change. And that's what prophecy is about. And that's the prophet who foretells the coming of Jesus Christ. So it's not surprising that on the third Sunday in Advent, the church in its wisdom, and it has got some wisdom sometimes, not a lot most of the time, but quite a lot in the Book of Common Prayer and the way it chooses readings. The Advent questions, Christmas comes. So we're trying, we, those who say we follow Jesus Christ, not the people in the street, don't know what's going on, think we are odd as well, and I don't blame them really. Look at the carol service last night, my word. The only really good people were the children. The children were fantastic around the crib, but the adults took themselves so seriously. Oh dear, oh dear. Anyway, there we are. The question, the question, the crucial question before Christmas, and it's in this text. Who do people say you are? Are you the one who is to come? So now the baby's in the manger, the little plaster baby. It's going to stay in the manger till next year. It never grows up, that plaster baby. That's the way the world would like to keep the baby. Plaster, set, immovable, purring over cattle, hay, and all the other stuff. But we're here because that child grew up and took risks with his family. He prophesied, but when he prophesied, he changed things by his action and his compassion. So the question you've got to ask yourselves is who is the babe in the manger? Who do you think this babe is in the manger? Then you have to say, if it has any significance at all, this child, this flesh, what does it mean to me? What does this baby mean to me? Do I keep him stinted, a midget, because it suits me to keep him in the crib? Or does this baby grow up and confront me with his arms outstretched on a cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And if you can answer the two first questions, who is the babe, what does he mean to me? You've then got a final question to answer. What difference does it make to believe in this baby in my life? Do I grow stronger? Am I less ratty as it gets to Christmas? Do I curse other people or love them? What difference does this child make to me? And will I allow this child into my life? And if so, what difference will it make? Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? What are you looking for? A happy Christmas? Good luck, good luck. Isn't it strange how Christmas brings all the tensions that have been hidden, some of them during the year, all the families trying to get together or avoid each other, all the phone calls that come and you think, oh, not that relation, all the cards you've forgotten to send. It pours in on you. What do you need? You need the peace that the Christ child gets in spite of the cattle lowing and thousands of carols and hymns. He must be deaf death this baby but he asks for you 
and he asks for you peace. And in his heart, as it begins to beat, you'll find that peace of God. So draw close to this baby in the manger and allow the baby to grow in you day by day. And then watch what happens. Watch what happens. Things might get a little better. Amen.